Hi, and welcome to the Believe in the Land Show. My name is Andy Billman. Let's take a look back at the week that was in Cleveland sports. There is a lot of Guardians to talk about. We will talk about them today. Hope everybody's having a great Memorial Day weekend so far. Weather's been beautiful across the country. It's been beautiful in Northeast Ohio. Hopefully you're getting your hot dogs, your hamburgers, all those kind of fun things, some good cocktails, or, you know, good sodas, wherever you are. Hope you guys are having a great Memorial Day weekend. We are going to start off, though, with the Browns. Because, hey, even in late May, the Browns seem to dominate a little bit of what's going on. There's been some good news to discuss. Um, the latest rumor that I'd like to talk start off with is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, for those of you who didn't see, DeAndre Hopkins was let go by the Arizona Cardinals this week. Um, he played for a long time with Deshaun Watson in Houston. He is a very talented wide receiver, as we all know. And so the question needs to be asked, what should the Browns do? Right? Uh, I've been surprised so far. Uh, some people who I trust and love their opinions have been a little bit more uh, not so hot on the idea of bringing in Andre Hopkins. They're thinking, I've heard the words development. We already have wide receiver core. And I, I come out very differently to some people who are maybe a little bit more conservative. I, I'm not so conservative with DeAndre Hopkins. In fact, I'm a lot more aggressive. I think the Browns should sign him. I think the Browns should go after him. The Browns have the cap room. The Browns are $7 million under, and they're going to get a, a lot more bank here in the next few days once the, uh, the, cla the, uh, the cap clears cap clears difficult to say uh cap clears with um Deshaun oh with um uh Johnson's contract and John Johnson that is and then um Davian Clowney so you're gonna get 10 million back too look money's not the issue here I think you can find a price to make a right with DeAndre Hopkins what I'm saying here though is why to bring a guy like this in. Even though your wide receiver room is full, it is. Even though your wide receiver room, even before this, you're very happy with. This, to me, makes a lot of sense for one reason only. It makes your quarterback more comfortable. It's pretty clear that Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins like playing for each other. So why would you not want to pair them to make your most important player on your team more comfortable. I just don't understand it. Does that mean you might have to sit Cedric Tillman? Does that mean you might have some plays this year where Amari uh, Cooper doesn't get as many balls? That might be true. But that's not a bad thing. That's not necessarily a reason why you should not do it. Getting your quarterback confident is number one. And Deshaun Watson is not comfortable so far in a game for the Browns. We think he's having a comfortable offseason. We think he will be comfortable next year. But to give this a landing and to actually make this smooth in 2023, wouldn't you want him to have a player that he trusts, that he likes, that I think can still play in this league, which we'll get to more in a second? Why the pushback from some I'm not quite understanding? Because we need to develop other players. We're not here to develop in Cleveland Browns. We are here to win games. You know how you develop? Maybe players push DeAndre Hopkins for playing time. That's what I see here. 
That's what I'd like to see here. I don't want to go back in this whole thing of like, oh, I hope this works out. And you know what? Hey, guess what? Cedric Tillman looks the part. And you watch out. David Bell, who I love, is going to take off this year. No, no. We know we have Elijah Moore who came in. He's going to play. We know what Amari Cooper can do. And DPJ is a good two. But when you want to add to that triple threat with someone who could be a star, who could be looking for a rebound, time to go all in. Deshaun Watson is our quarterback. We can debate all day whether it's right move or not. That's passed. He's our quarterback. To make Deshaun Watson feel comfortable, to make a quarterback who hasn't exactly fit in so far feel like he's loved, Boy, I would really make sure to add a weapon to make him feel comfortable on Sundays. And that weapon is DeAndre Hopkins. There is no reason to say the word development. There's no reason to say you're, oh, well, what? No, 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 no. We are here to win games in Cleveland. DeAndre Hopkins can help you do that. I also believe DeAndre Hopkins will want a chance to prove himself after he struggled in Arizona. He didn't play horrible, but he didn't play up to his ability. And he knows that, and the league knows that. Usually in the NFL, when that happens to a player, especially a wide receiver, they like nothing more than to show everyone who's wrong. So you're going to give a hungry player who wants to win into an environment where he's very comfortable with the quarterback. This makes too much sense. Go all in. If that means you sit DPJ, it means you sit DPJ a little bit. You got Cooper, you got Hopkins, you got Elijah Moore. Sign me up. That's a very hard triple threat to stop. In this league, there are injuries. To have someone like a DeAndre Hopkins who can play has a lot of of value this is not about oh we wish we could see more playing time for x no no no. we are here to win games if you add him you have a core four with donovan people jones as your fourth then you can add your cedric tillmans and your marquis good ones your david bell that's a strong wide receiver house very strong now you got some real threats playing on Sunday. That's what the Cleveland Browns need. And again, we all have seen this so far, and we all know in our hearts that so far, Deshaun Watson's not been very comfortable. This gives an opportunity for him to start feeling comfortable in Cleveland. Why would you not want to do that? Why would you not want to give an opportunity to a young man who can finally feel like he is at home a little bit. This is an all-in move. Does this strap the Browns a little bit? Yes, it does. But I thought we were here to win big this year. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm not understanding the, the goal here. This is not the Houston Texans or the Carolina Panthers or the Chicago Bears, who are definitely in rebuild, which we know very well in this town. This is a town that's actually in a team that's actually built to win now. So why not add a DeAndre Hopkins? 
It does not add any negativity here. It really doesn't. Wide receivers this year, last year, outside of Mari Cooper and DPJ, stunk. Yes, we got some help. Doesn't mean we can't add one more. To give some protection to number four will be a nice thing to do for the Browns. Do it for that reason. Allow this young man to feel comfortable in Cleveland. Deshaun Watson has not felt comfortable so far in Cleveland, Ohio. And he's earned some of that because of his transactions off the field, which were terrible. We've moved forward, and we're now here today. And now that we're here, this young man, who is our quarterback, you've got to make him feel more comfortable on the field. Getting him his buddy would make him feel more comfortable and would give him more opportunity for the Cleveland Browns to be successful. That's what I want to see. I think that's what all of us want to see. The Andre Hopkins makes too much sense. Get him in. Bring him in. Let's start winning. Enough said. I was surprised by the pushback by some. Oh, I don't know if this would, what are we going to do about the development of this? Whoa, 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 development. I'm here to win games. I'm tired of developing. Developing means we lose. We developed a lot in the last 20 years. It sucks. Development's awful. Awful. I'm here to win games. I'm here to hug Cameron Billman on Sundays, give high fives to Christy, and score touchdowns. I do not want to have another Sunday where we're all sitting around grumpy figuring out what our Monday is going to be like. We want to celebrate and have a good time. And as Browns fans, that's all we ask for. You know where it starts? It starts adding to Andre Hopkins again. Going all in. Let's go for it. Let's push the envelope on the salary cap. Let's see if we can win some games. It's not a risk. In fact, there's no risk at all. If it doesn't work out, you have other wide receivers who can play. You're not relying on DeAndre Hopkins to make moves. And yes, if it doesn't work out, could have hurt the team, sure. But what the hell at this point? I think that's a low risk, especially because of the quarterback. I also think because DeAndre Hopkins has something to prove. I think DeAndre Hopkins has a lot to prove. I think he wants to prove that he can still play in this league. Enough said. Bring him in. All in. Makes too much sense. There's no downside to bringing in DeAndre Hopkins. None. And if you hear that from others, I think they're dead wrong. There's some people I really like and love. I heard saying that in the last 48 hours, and I'm just not I'm just shaking my head. I don't understand why. Don't understand why. Why not bring in a player who can help the team? Why not? Especially to make your quarterback feel more comfortable. It isn't like there's no relationship there. This isn't Beckham who didn't know Mayfield. This is Deshaun Watson who really knows DeAndre Hopkins. Bring him in. There's two other storylines that really came through this week. One of them was a defensive, you know, prowess in OTAs. Uh, Miles Garrett not being in OTAs. Look, this seems to be a theme every year in these OTAs. Some of these OTAs, and this week included, is optional. It's optional for players. Miles Garrett has chose not to be in OTAs. Some players in the past have chose to practice in OTAs, and that's a good thing. 
what I've learned in these OTAs is not to get too high and not to get too low. Sometimes we read way too much in OTAs. I've learned you forget about them by the regular season. Would Miles Garrett being there would help? Sure. He's got a new defense, new defensive coordinator. It'd be great to see him in there and playing and practicing and getting another new defense. It really would. But does that mean he's not going to be successful this year or the team's not going to be successful? Is of OTAs? I, I actually can't say that. I, I don't believe that. I really don't. It would be great to have him there. It'd be nice to have him there. He does not have to be there. Nick Chubb was not there. Joe Batonio was not there. Those are guys that really get a lot of respect in this town. David Njoku wasn't there. They're not getting bashed. I think Miles Garrett's getting bashed because there's a new defense and because they want him to be his leader. Okay. And, you have, and everybody's got a right to their opinion on this. But I think he's getting bashed far too hard. And I'll tell you, you'll forget about it by the time he has his first sack on Sunday in September. But forget about it. These OTAs get made way too much and way too light. It's really somewhere right in the middle. Would Miles Garrett being in camp help this week? Of course. There's no downside. But does it save the season or cost him a win? No. No, it does not. Don't read too much into it. It would have been nice to have seen. But all this is buzzworthy stories, in my opinion. I just have learned. There's been too many players that have shown up to these OTAs, and the Browns have stunk. Stunk! Terrible. So I, I'm not here to say, like, oh, OTA save the day. They don't. It's been proven, too. It, it is, it's been proven. Training camp's important. Regular season's important. Preseason games have some importance. Everything else, I, I mean, it's important to be there, sure, yeah. But, I mean, is it life or death? No, no. Way too much me getting out of the stuff from Oscar. Would it have been a good showing? Would it show some leadership? Sure. It doesn't mean the season's over. Sometimes people are getting way too off the bridge on Miles Garrett. And then finally, Juan Thornhill made some interesting comments. He said this to the press this week, quote, you don't want to be walking around with fans saying, I don't know if you're going to win or not. I hope we win this year. We don't want to see that as a team. We want those guys to be behind us, meaning the fans, pushing us every day. Once you have your fans backing you, they make us to want to play harder for you as fans. Hmm. Thornhill not thrilled. Us Browns fans, me included, are a little skeptical. <laughs> Mr. Thornhill, you haven't been around very long. I love, his, I love this guy's passion. Love the emotion. Love the spirit. Mr. Thornhill, here's a note. In this town, we've lost a lot since we've moved back here. And we've seen some serious stuff go down where it's been on hair, brain, on fire, unbelievably bad. We've had a couple good moments. We've had some. But we've had some terrible moments. Stuff you wouldn't even believe. Mr. Thornhill, we won one game one time in two years. It's been a long run here. I love your energy. I love your passion. Fans don't control how players play. You can control how fans feel. 
And I'll say this, your passion and your energy, I hope, bleeds in to Berea. Berea is a very analytics-minded folk. They don't get much into emotion or into the feel of the football game. They're into numbers and putting people in positions to be successful through science and math. And there's some real truth to that stuff, to be honest with you. Sometimes there's not, as, as I, people know, as I talk about on the show. But there is some truth sometimes in those numbers and those, in those equations and putting people in certain spots. There's no question. My point is, Mr. Thornhill, I believe, especially in football, in any sport, but football especially, emotion, belief is huge. It, emotion's what football's built on because it's only so many games and it's such a team game. Even with the importance of quarterback, it's still a very team game. You have to have 22 guys, 11 on 11, and 11 special teamers too. I mean, it's a lot of people on the field. So you have to have a lot of belief in your teammates. That's what makes football so bonding. This makes it more of a community, more of a society. For someone who's a father who's got a kid playing football, it is very family-like. And it gives a great structure, which is why I like my kid playing it, actually. Even though it's a violent game, it's a tough game. I enjoy him playing it because it gives him a sense of structure and a sense of community. All that to be said, here's what I'm telling you. Mr. Thornhill, bring that energy and bleed it into Berea because it's needed in Berea and it's important. Last year, there was not enough emotion sometimes from the Browns. Keep that going. Keep it going. It's a good thing. Don't lose the battle on this. I like Juan Thornhill. I think he's going to help out the team. But do not put it on the fans. It's on the players and on the organization. We want you to win. Believe me. That's why DeAndre Hopkins should be signed. Don't, don't mess that up. It's a huge opportunity. The Browns have another week of practice, and then they go bye-bye for the summer. And then it goes to training camp, which is early this year because of the Hall of Fame game being played with the Jets and the Browns this year. Joe Thomas going in the Hall of Fame. Huge day. Huge day. So it's basically another week or so. It's not much longer. Really, basically, it's next week and I think a little bit over. And that's it. I mean, the Browns didn't go away for a while. So this is kind of our last week or so before the Browns go night-night until basically late July. Those are the news stories for the Browns. Busier week. It's been a quiet offseason, which I like for the Browns. But it was a busier off week this week for our Brownies. When we come back from break, <laughs> it's time for the Guardians. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. If you love instant, con- I mean, you like instant analysis, as soon as the last strikeout happens, sadly, lately, it's usually the Guardians you're striking out last. But gosh darn it, if you want some excitement about, hey, what happened here today? Go to at official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. That's at official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. Check me out. It's part of the Believe in the Land Media Company. Go to believeinthelandmedia.com. We do daily articles on the Guardians, on the Browns, on the Cavs. Also, check out Believe in the Land on YouTube. That's right, I'm everywhere. But I watch every game and I give thoughtful analysis, which I think you'll enjoy. If not, just please please hit like. I have many kids and a house to take care of. We need the money. 
just at the least do it for charity. <laughs> Give it a like. Uh, Believeintheland.com. Cops out. Quarters in. All right. Guardians time. Guardians have been all over the map this week. We are going to get to the day-by-day stuff later in the show as it has been a just a tumultuous time. But I want to give some long-term views before we get to the week that was for the Guardians. Because there's two storylines that I've seen develop a lot this week that I think should both be talked about. Um, and are topics I didn't think we'd be talking about here this early in the season, but I do think they're relevant now. There's two things that have come up a lot recently in my post-game show on Instagram, at Official Cleveland Sports, and through comments and through questions through, through fans. The first one is, will the Guardians trade Shane Bieber? The Guardians are underperforming, to say the least. The Guardians would have to have a minor miracle at times to score runs. I mean, it's just been so frustrating as a fan to watch this team try to score runs. And the offense just has no charge, um, doesn't have much zip. These games right now, it feels like the Guardians are just kind of hanging on rather than putting up a fight. And that's not what you want as a fan. And frankly, I'm sure it's not what they want as an organization there in Cleveland. I know the Guardians really well. They're really good people. But they have to be they just have to be frustrated about what they're seeing here as a product. So when you start to feel frustrated in baseball, especially, you start thinking about trades. Now, if they were to trade Shane Bieber, let's get this off the plate first. If you trade Shane Bieber, you are waving the white flag on a playoff berth. You are. Because even if you make the playoffs without Shane Bieber, which would be a long shot for the Guardians, long shot, you're not going to get very far. He is a true ace. He has won big playoff games. He has won a Cy Young. He is a legit number one. Let's not underplay the gravity of trading him away. Sometimes people go like, oh, just train Shane Bieber. You just don't trade Shane Bieber. Okay? It's a monumental move. It changes your whole organization, your whole pitching staff. The one thing the Guardians have had this year starting pitching, it's been pretty consistent. Which you're very lucky because Plesak is in Columbus. Remember him? Savali's been hurt. And Tristan McKenzie hasn't even pitched a game this year. He's been hurt. Now, Savali and McKenzie are getting close to returning. But if you get those two guys back, which you will at some point, and you throw in a Bieber, Quantrill, Bybee, Logan Allen, holy cow, those are some legit, I mean, that's a great staff. That's a true weapon for the playoffs. You can never have too much starting pitching in this league. just can't. So it's not like any other place in life where you go, yeah, I have too much. You never have too much starting pitching. You just don't. It's such a weapon. It can really take off in sports. You can win a World Series with pitching like that. You can. A Tanner Bybee, who's really young, looks like he might be ready for primetime already. I think he is. We know Tristan McKenzie can pitch in big spots. Logan Allen and Quantrill don't scare you. I mean, they, they, I mean, meaning like you're not afraid to throw them out there. And then Savali, Savali, he's a veteran who's been hurt. When he's healthy, he's good, but he hasn't been healthy very often. So whenever you start to make the idea of we're going to trade a Shane Bieber, 
you're trading away a piece that you're trying to get to the playoffs. So you, for those of you who are like, I'm ready, Andy, I don't care. It's a ship Shane Bieber. Well, as soon as you ship Shane Bieber, you are shipping away your chances for a playoff berth. Or even if you make the playoffs, you're shipping away your chance to win big. That's how big of a trade this is. You just can't ship Shane Bieber and say, all right, there we go. Got some new blood. No, 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 no. This changes everything. It speeds up some things that you don't necessarily want to have speed up. And you're going to have to rely on Tanner Bybee. Well, I think you can rely on. And Logan Allen, who, I got to be honest, I think you can rely on. Can McKenzie and Quantrill and a healthy Savali fill in those spots? They probably can. But if you have Shane Bieber, that gets you into elite status with your starting rotation. So that goes back to the temptation. Do you trade then Shane Bieber? Well, you know, it's starting to become tempting a little bit. And I love Shane, and I don't think I'd pull the trigger yet. But even I, who realize the gravity of the move, it's a big move. Even I'm starting to realize if the losing continues, Shane Bieber's probably not coming back here after two years. It might be time to trade him. But you got to be really sure to do it. And the Guardians are not there right now. Guardians are not even close to being there right now. Guardians still have a ways to go to get there right now. So keep that in mind for those of you who are just ready to hit eject. But is it tempting to think about a trade beaver trade if, if, if they don't start winning? It might be in one sense because the lineup really could use a boost. And you and if they make a trade for Bieber, you got to get a hitter back. Probably two. Guardians need some thump in the lineup. And real thump. Not a young prospect. They need a dude who can come in and start unloading deep flies in the outfield. They need to do some things where they where they automatically start getting runs. And I mean hitting the ball out and getting things on going on the base path. This is not a situation where you can just have a trade and just see some prospects come up in a couple of years. You need to see some automatic results. You can't give frap Shane Bieber and get prospects for a couple of years. Can't do it. Got to get things in place now. This lineup could use some thump. Certainly trading Shane Bieber will add to that hope. It will. But again, it's got to be instantaneous. Cannot be something that's down the road. Cannot be something that is something that you're hoping for in 2025 and 26. You've got to get it now. Got to get it now. These at-bats this year have been terrible. Will Brennan's at-bat today was terrible. Some of these other at-bats I'm seeing today are terrible. And I'm getting sick of it. And I'm sure the Guardians are getting sick of it. And that's why training Shane Bieber 
might be the way to go because you just have to do something to get in some fun and some excitement in this lineup. Have to do it at some point. Have to do it. Just have to do something. If it continues like this for another month, I don't think Shane Bieber will be here much longer. And that's tough to say because Shane's been on a lot to the organization. He's been on a lot to the Guardians, and it'd be really tough to see him go. But I don't think Shane's coming back to Cleveland in 2025. So with that in mind, you got to start preparing for the future a little bit earlier if the winning doesn't start. And from what I've seen in this weekend series, and from what I've seen in the series leading up to this year, it's time, it is starting to get a little desperate. Might have to move. But that is a huge change. Not light. The other big thing is Tito Francona. People are getting frustrated. People are getting tired. Look, Terry Francona is the best manager I've seen in my lifetime. And I love Mike Hargrove. I'm a big Mike Hargrove supporter. I don't think Mike Hargrove gets enough credit for the job he did here in Cleveland. Mike Hargrove is a hell of a manager. That said, Tito Francona's best manager has ever been in Cleveland, Ohio. In my lifetime, 43 years old. He is by far the best manager we've ever had. He is still the best manager we've ever had. Is he having some bad moments this year? Oh, yes, he is. Has it been scratching your head when we see Logan Allen out there too long? Or he's putting Karen Check out there in strange situations? Or he's having David Fry being a catcher in a 10th inning in a tight game against the Cardinals? Yes. Those are head-scratching moves from our manager. And I do think he's having a little bit of issue at times. He's not having his best year. That said, Terry Francona is the best manager for us. He's my manager. He should be your manager. You cannot let a bad season or a few bad moments get you down. Terry is the right fit. Give Terry time. Allow him. He's had some mistakes. I think if you gave him a truth pill and you had some ice cream with him, I think he'd be the first one to admit it to you. He's had some mistakes this year. Has not had his best managerial job. That said, way too many people are ready to give him the axe. That is not the right move. And nor should it be the right move at the end of the year. He needs to come back. We need Francona. We need him to feel loved. We need him to come back. We really need him as a manager. He's important. You cannot get too many Trey Franconas in his lifetime. He is a great manager who has taken this club to new heights that I never thought we'd see. When we had Manny Acta and we had Eric Wedge, I ugh, I was really frustrated as a fan. So frustrating. The bad managing was so evident when you're watching games. To have a manager who's very competent and is well-liked and who's very respected, it just makes a huge difference. And I don't undervalue that. Getting rid of Terry Francona would be a huge mistake. Can't do that. Can't do it. That said, is he having his best year managing? No. Is he having one of his best runs as manager for the Guardians right now? No, he's not. He's not. He's struggling. Again, I've made some I made some comments on some moments that have made me head scratch. He has not been the same sometimes this year. Maybe it's the new clock rules. Maybe it's some things about him slowing down. I don't know. But I give I would give that guy a lot more chances than he deserves them. He's a great manager. I'm telling you. 
Do not push that eject button on that man. You will never find another Terry Francona. Don't take him for granted. He is that good. He is that knowledgeable. He is that he makes that much of a difference. The Shane Bieber thing is something to watch. It's sad it's not going anywhere, and it's not going anywhere right now for the Guardians. Guardians cannot hit. They're having a hell of a time getting runs. So until that changes and until the wins start coming in, I think we're kind of here as fans. I think the Guardians are going to have a have to really start contemplating when do you pull a trigger? Gosh, can you imagine? Pull a trigger to trade for Shane Bieber. Man. But that's where we are as fans. And that's where the Guardians are. Tough times. Not fun right now. Hopefully they start winning. We come back. We'll detail the week that was for your Cleveland Guardians. Welcome back to the Believe in Land Show. My name is Andy Billman. Again, if you like instantaneous reaction as soon as the last pitch happens, go to at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. That's at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. I'm there after every Guardians game, Browns in the fall, Cavs in the fall and winter. Also, check out BelieveInTheLand.com. has great material. We do write-ups every day on the Guardians, Cavaliers, and Browns, Buckeyes. Also, 216 and beyond. It's a great section. Tells you what's going on in town and what you can do this during the weekend. Check it out. And also, Believe in the Land on YouTube, which is what you're watching on right now. Hi. All right. What a great, great time to finally get into a groove. The Guardians won back-to-back games. Haven't done that since 13th and 14th of May. They finally won three out of four. It's a key stat in baseball. That usually means when you win three out of four, you're usually winning series. The Guardians won the series this week, this weekend against the Cardinals. That was good to see. And they came out of Memorial Day Monday with a win, too, in Baltimore. And this is not the Baltimore Orioles from past years. This is a good Baltimore team. They're playing very, very well. They are actually have one of the best records in baseball. So for the Guardians to get a win like that yesterday from Logan Allen, says a lot, too, a lot of significance. We'll get break that down here in a second. So finally, the Guardians are grooving a little bit, and it came kind of out of nowhere. Uh, leading up into the Sunday game, it, it still felt choppy this week. Really wasn't clean. The White Sox, I thought, overpowered the Guardians on their way out of town, which was – it was that was defeating. The way that series ended on Wednesday, 6 nothing. Really, the Guardians didn't have much fight in the game, which is unusual for this team last year, but it's been kind of starting to become a norm a little bit where they weren't fighting for hits. It didn't feel like they were putting any pressure on the White Sox. That was a very disappointing series. They won a game. They could have won another, but they put Logan Allen in. <clears throat> Kept him in too long in the game. Uh, Frank Conner usually is a good pulling of the strings puppeteering act of when to pull pinchers and when to keep him in. I thought he, sh- he struggled with that lately. Um, he, I think he'll get back to it, but he should have pulled Logan Allen the other day when they're playing against the White Sox. He didn't. Kept him in, cost him that game, and then Quantrill just did not have it on the series ender. So they come and play the Cardinals. They split the first two. Uh, extra inning affair they lost on Saturday, but they won the game before on Friday, leading up to Sunday. And Sunday really kind of felt like, as we're going into the bottom of the ninth, felt like it was going to be another loss. And it was really eye-opening to see how it was unfolding because 
Josh Naylor had an opportunity in the bottom of the six, one of our better hitters. Just almost like he's squeezing the bat too hard. His bat snapped in half, couldn't get the runs in. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Will Brennan, young hitter, had an excellent opportunity to get the game tied or maybe even take the lead. Bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth. Comes into the uh, bat, has a pitch clock violation, so he's already down a one. Then has a terrible swing on strike two. And then has a maybe even a worse swing on the third pitch. Grounds it right to the pitcher. Easy grounder. Home to first double play. That's that at bat, I I thought was going to really stick out. It felt like that was the game. In past, in this season, when the Guardians have had these kind of at-bats, it seems to deflate the club, and it carried. It's carried from game to game, and it felt like that Will Brennan bat was like, that's it, sayonara, we'll, we'll try again in Baltimore. It just felt defeating. In the ninth, they got a couple walks from Straw and from Quan. And what a surprise, two outs, bottom of the ninth. No one thought the Guardians were going to win. Jose Ramirez comes up to the plate with guys on first and second and hits a game-winning double that we've had some great victories this year, I guess. There's probably some games I'm forgetting in there. That was the game in the Bronx was a really good win this year. That was a thrilling victory. They had some couple early victories in the first series of the year against Seattle. That was really thrilling, exciting. But that was the first time it felt like a staple where it's like, gosh, that was 2022 Guardians. Walking off, jumping up and down, a very, very good energy. That was a big moment for this team, possibly. Now, they have to keep winning. But that that's the first time all year the Guardians had a win that carried into Monday. The momentum carried into Monday. Logan Allen was wonderful against a great Orioles lineup. Seven strong, zero runs, and 10 strikeouts. Wow. So he was very, very good. They've come in now on Tuesday, winning three out of four and winning two straight. And the Twins have not broken away from the division. And I'm not scared of the Kitty Cats either, who are above the Guardians right now. They're actually in this thing. If they're in some other divisions, I think the season might be over, but they're not. They take advantage of where you are. You're in the Central. And the Central tells you you're three games behind in the loss column to the Twins. So keep fighting. That window on Sunday with J-Ram was very important. And as uh, Matt Matt Underwood appropriately put in the broadcast, Mr. Reliable. And it is Mr. Reliable. Jose Ramirez is our best player by far. And that's why this team does have a chance to do something special. They really, truly have a three-hitter. He's a great player. He is a he is our leader by far. And my gosh, did he lead this team this week in a game they they were dead. Guardians were dead. They was not, I did not think they were going to win that game. And they came back from the dead with, of course, Jose Ramirez to hit a game-winning double to walk off. Hopefully that win continues to carry. The starting pitching is really starting to form out. And now you get some relief because Tristan McKenzie and Savali sounds like they're really close. Sounds like we're in that seven to 10 day period, maybe even closer. Sounds like versus sounds like Savali's closer. Sounds like Savali or McKenzie. They're really close that they're going to take the Hunter Gaddis position. That's easy. Uh, Hunter Gaddis is clearly not where Tristan McKenzie or Savali are. 
But Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee are a different story. So there's been some scuttlebutt if you listen to the broadcast closely or you listen to the radio with Hamilton and Rosie. There seems to be some debate inside the Guardians organization of what to do with Savali. Because Logan Allen looked pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. On Monday. And actually, he's looked pretty good even before that. So do they put Savali in relief? I don't know. Does this... I don't see... I actually got to say this. I don't see how you take Logan Allen out right now. I think you got to keep Logan Allen where he's at. I actually think Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee are ready to play every day. So Savali's going to have to figure out how to way to get back into the rotation. And then that adds to the what we talked about in the previous segment. Does that entice the Guardians to trade Shane Bieber? Maybe. But again, if you trade Shane Bieber, you can't win the World Series, in my opinion. The only way the Guardians do have a true shot to win the World Series this year is you got to have Shane Bieber as your ace. You can't do it the other way. can't. Too many unknowns. Too much pressure on young kids to do big things in big spots. But... If you have a strong rotation, if you talk to Bieber's agent and Bieber says, I don't think he has any interest in signing a contract this next offseason, maybe you think about it. Logan Allen, in a good way, is putting some interesting things ahead for the Guardians, let alone the, the, the simplest one of, what do you do with Aaron Savali? Logan Allen's earned the right to stay in rotation. Savali's going to probably have to come out of the bullpen. That's just what happens in sports sometimes. That actually might help out the Guardians, too. Speaking of the bullpen, uh, Karen Check is still a mess. I would not put that guy out in any key situations. Um, he's going to have to He's gonna have to figure it out. Uh, De Los Santos has been wonderful this year. You're going to see him more in the eighth inning. Stefan is um, called a work in progress. He's not having a good month, but now that I've seen Trevor Steffen for three seasons, this is he does have these moments where he just goes off the rails and then he gets back on the rails. So I'm actually going to chop that up to that. Like he's kind of off the rails right now. A lot of people are down on Sandlin, but frankly, I think Sandlin's one of your more consistent relievers right now. I know people would like to hear that. De Los Santos is really the guy uh, when it comes to the setup. And then as for Classe, I know he really struggled on Friday. My God. Um, but he did his velocity was up. Um, so take that with a positive note. That's not a light statement. He really did pitch much better when it came to uh, miles per hour. I mean, it was fast coming out of his arm. So that might be a sign of a positive thing. So that's kind of saved the bullpen. So volley might actually help. I think it actually might give it a lift. Hunter Gaddis coming out of the bullpen wouldn't be a bad thing either, in my opinion. I'd have a lot more faith. Hunter Gaddis, when he comes out, actually does pretty well. He just has these innings where he gets up gopher balls. But he usually does that in the middle of the game. For two innings, I think Hunter Gaddis can get guys out. I would not be shipping him back down to Columbus unless they really want him to be a starter. But I, I see a guy, it's like, man, like that guy can come out of the bullpen. Big spots. He's very good when he comes out. He just struggles when he gets into that fourth and fifth inning area. 
And he and when he struggles, he struggles. I mean, it goes off the rails fast. I've seen Gas now a bunch of times. It usually becomes multiple home runs and big innings, as it did on Sunday. As for the hitting situation for the team that scored the last, I mean, they I think they're still today. I haven't checked, but I'm, I'm sure they're still last in baseball and run scored. There are some signs of breaking out. I mean, obviously the Jose hit, but yesterday too, Cam Gallagher got a single in a big spot. You're seeing guys, uh, by the way, Cam's from Lancaster, PA, so I think that kind of makes sense how he's playing well. Once once played well in front of his friends and family. Um, There are some signs of some guys breaking out. I thought Will Brennan, who had a terrible Sunday, really played well on Monday. That showed a lot about Will Brennan. Uh, he went three for th- four after a terrible bat on Sunday the day before. That's a good sign for Will Brennan. Arias keeps getting playing time. Wait to see what that means. Um, he's not hitting, but he's definitely got a glove. Um, he shows potential to hit, though. Jimenez is still lost. I don't. They might have to sit him down for a while and get him back. Um, I think he's in that kind of funk. I, I just don't see, you know, I was listening to Hammy and the television guys like, oh, we see signs of it breaking out. I'm not trying to be negative. I love Andres Jimenez, but he's, he doesn't show any signs of breaking it up. I think he's in a real slump. I, I think they're going to have to do something to fix that. A lot of people were down on Josh Bell. He had a very good Sunday. Um, he looked like he bounced back. Everyone was frustrated with Zanino. I thought Zanino had a great week. I thought Zanino actually played really well. Almost makes me wonder if someone got into him, but like, hey, you got to turn this around and we're going to get rid of you. Because it's he he played like a guy with his job on the line. And his job was on the line. He needed to start playing better, and he did. So he had a good week. Um, Jimenez is still concerning. I I wouldn't forget about the Miles Straw situation. Um. It's very clear he's well-liked on the club. You can tell he's a good guy. I don't know if they can go much further with Miles Straw not hitting. Um, Talked about this last year, but I thought his defense was elite. We have to see how this plays out. Tito's clearly going to give him more time, but would not lose sight on center field. Um, I think it's a position to watch. And Rosario is... How to put it? He's one of your best clutch hitters, and I know people are gonna be like, "What?" He had a great Friday. He got a big hit in a big spot. Rosario actually has a big average when guys are on base, but his defense is woeful, and he has lapses at the and he has lapses at the plate too. He'll have a great at bat, then a right next bat at lousy. Um. I don't know what to do or what to think about Rosario, meaning like I don't – he's obviously not coming back next year. But I don't know if you trade him. I'm really hung up on what to do with him. It's kind of like Shane Bieber. I don't know. Because Rosario in a big spot I think can get a hit, and he's proven he can get a hit. Long term, you can get a big stick and trade Bieber for a big stick. What you can, you get a big stick and a prospect or two. Um, do you do that for, I don't know, maybe. There's definitely a log jam with Arias there. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Jimenez is a guy to watch, though. He's really struggling. And it sucks because we need him. 
Like I said, good days from Sunday from Bell. Zanino had a good week overall. Uh, Brendan, I thought, showed a lot of guts. Boy, what he did on Monday after that terrible bat on Sunday. He had a great day Monday. And Gallagher had a nice day yesterday, too. That's your Guardians. I know people will probably want to hit eject. I know probably people are ready to say frustrated now. Again, I'll say it. They're only three games out and lost column to the Twins. They are right there. It's amazing. Imagine what happens if they start playing well. They actually start my taking off. Last night, the Celtics ended the season terribly uh, as an embarrassing loss. And I just got a couple thoughts when it comes to the Cavs. One on the Sunday win. I mean, Sunday win, Saturday win. Um, the importance of boxing out was shown again. Uh, Derek White, who got that incredible rebound, incredible play, got that because the Miami Heat failed to block the box out. That is a lost art in basketball. It is an important art and improved because they made him play a game seven in Boston. Miami should have wrapped it up right there, game six, but they didn't box out. That's what I'm seeing from the Cavs when it came to, came to the Knicks. I know everybody's talking about guys getting bigger and guys getting stronger, and I'm not saying not to do that. What I'm saying is you got to box out, and the Cavs don't know how to box out either. I thought it really showed in that Miami, in that Miami-Boston ending because the, he didn't box out. And frankly, it made it for an easy putback and in. They instead sat and watched Marcus shot, Marcus Smart shot hit the rim instead of focusing on the next play. That is something that the Cavs should look at and keep an eye on. That's what half a rebounding is to me. You just have to know how to box out and play the ball. Derek White played the ball, and guess what? That earned him a hoop and got him into game seven. Um, as for game seven, I mean, obviously it was terrible for the Celtics, but that's for Celtics podcast. Um, and he'd go on. Kevin Love didn't play a minute. Kevin, look, I know everybody's going to be, there's going to be some disgruntled Cleveland fans. There'll be some happy Cleveland fans about Kevin Love. Don't get too wrapped up into it. He's really not a big piece of what's going on in the NBA Finals. He's, he's really not. But the Caleb Martin story is something for us Cavs fans too. You know, the Heat p- picked him up on the dog, on basically on the trash heap. Um, the Hornets didn't know what to do with him. He he scooped him up, and he's really became a nice player for the Heat. Can the Cavs find their Caleb Martin? We're going to find out. They need to be that kind of creative. They actually need to be that kind of creative where they find someone who they can hopefully play like Caleb Martin did. The Heat are proving it's possible. The Heat are proving you can do it. Let's see if the Cavs can find their Caleb Martin. DeAndre Hopkins, come on down, baby. Shane Baver trade rumors will continue to swirl. The Guardians had a winning week, if you count Monday, four and three. Three out of four, two in a row. And the Cavs should take some learning lessons out of the Heat Celtics series. That's the week that was in Cleveland sports on a Tuesday. Posting on Tuesday morning. My name is Andy Billman. We'll be back on all week at Official Cleveland Sports. Check out Believe in the Land and BelieveInTheLand.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys next week.